Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. Wherever the heck in the world you are, it's V the Girl Economist coming to you live on this edition of Rogue News. And we have with us a very special guest. Jeff Brown is with us. Uh, Jeff's work, I'm actually a fan of. I actually ran into his work a couple of months back on radio, uh, uh, on China Rising Radio Land, uh, radio, China Rising Radio Sinoland. And I was like, wow, this guy gets it. He's, he's a Westerner, he's been in China. And, folks, Jeff is the author of 44 Days. He's also is the uh, he wrote also wrote the book uh, Doctor uh, Wright Reads Treasure Trove to Greet English to Great English. Excuse me. Uh, he's also the author of China Rising: Capitalist Roads and Socialist Destinations, The Truth Behind Asia's Enigmatic Colossus, and the Big Red Book on China. Uh, he's been a speaker at TEDx. He's been a, he's been a contributor at Bookworm, Capital M Library. Uh, he's been in various festivals. He's been also featured in an 18-part series of interviews on Radio Beijing AM 774 uh, with former BBC journalist Bruce Connolly. Uh, he has a guest lecture at the Beijing Academy of Social Sciences, as well as various international schools and universities. He's been a guest on radio and television programs like Press TV, The Daily Coin, Truth Jihad, Wall Street for Main Street, KFCF FM 88.1, Crush the Street, as well as having articles published on Covert Action Magazine, Titanic Lifeboat Economy, Op-Ed News, UNZ or the UNS Review, Paul Craig Roberts, and many others. And now he's here on Rogue. He is a former Oklahoman, and uh, he grew up on a family farm in Oklahoma, graduated from Oklahoma State University. He's a Sooner, and he went to Brazil while in graduate school at Purdue University. And uh, here he is. He is with this. I mean, this guy has quite the, uh, the, the resume. And Jeff, there's so much more Jeff has done. I'd rather have Jeff introduce himself. This is the first time he's here. Folks, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to get your your, your, your your paradigms broken in half, and your minds are going to be absolutely enlightened and enthralled. Jeff, welcome. Thank you so much, V uh, and CJ, uh, for having me on. It's a real honor. Um, I think, first off, I just want people to know that I'm not some guru. Um and you know, like some Indian guru, nor nor am I, nor 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 have I just you know flippantly you know come come up with all of these ideas. 
uh, it has been a my arc my arc my arc of awareness has been long, hard, painful, mm. and uh, sometimes really really difficult. Um, I grew up, of course, in the nineteen. I was born in the fifties. I grew up, you know, with Sputnik and all the anti-communist hysteria and the U.S the US, uh, USSR and Kennedy's assassination, you know, when I was in the third grade and, and, but I, I, we were so imbued with a sense of purpose and, and a sense of uh, righteousness, you know, the, 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 the temple on the hill. And I don't think Americans really fathom just how much we are inculcated with this propaganda with with this propaganda and i mean it starts well, in the womb it starts in the womb yeah and church school yep. television um advertising hollywood uh it's just it is so pervasive and so I, that's where i started out feeling very smug and superior about my about my origins right well jeff we're still we still are the temple on the hill except we're the aztec <laughs> temple on the hill. <laughs> and there's a, there's quite a, a a lot of chests with no with missing hearts inside of them and and the blood is flowing through this <laughs> so you know i i really you know proud american and i am i just it's just i've just learned the the dark underbelly of of imperial of empire and and so it it took i mean i I even was in the peace corps you know i i you know to you know to help people and very idealistic and you know lived and you know lived and lived with you know peasant you know poor people you know in, in tunisia for two years but i still had this sense of of I'm not racist. Um, um, I mean, if I if I said the N- bias. yeah, yeah. When, when I, if I said the N word when I grew up, I would get you know literally a, a bar of soap you know stuck in my mouth. So right. it it wasn't racist. It's just this sense of uh, of, of cultural and um, uh, technological and moral moral superiority. I had that all the way through Peace Corps, and then I tra- traveled, and well, I worked all over Africa and the Middle East for the next ten years, and learned a little foreign languages, and but I still had it. I mean, I and I and I felt very smug about my, you know, quote liberal, liberaloid, you know, you know, liberal, you know, I care. I was a Peace Corps volunteer, but I still had this smugness, and I got married and. 1988 to a French woman and and um, 34 years ago or now I guess th- we'll be 35 and and so uh, we decided it, w- it was time to leave and so we moved to uh, uh, we moved to China and I was we were there from 1990 to 1997 I was a ma- a, a general manager of two 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 companies I don't need we don't need to go into all that detail but I, I learned the language fluently reading writing speaking managed you know dozens of employees chinese employees traveled all over the country we had our we had our two we had our two children there and i but looking i'll, I'll, I'll get there 
And so we then decided to go to France for five years and be entrepreneurs. And we opened up a, a, uh, a used compact disc and DVD shop in Normandy, where I, where, where I am right now. And seeing France, you know, for the first time as an entrepreneur was very, very edifying. Uh, it still had a lot of, of the post-war, you know, socialism. And as entrepreneurs, my wife and I were, we were growling about, you know, all the rules and regulations. Um, and uh, then we moved back to the United States. In fact, I was on the airplane the first that, that uh, uh, United flight from Paris to New York after 9-11, the one that was on all the televisions, the first commercial flight to return back to the in, into American airspace. Oh, wow. And uh, so my wife and I went back to Oklahoma for the next 10 years. It was great for my mom and dad because they hadn't been grandparents We because we had lived overseas all, you know, all, all, for so long. And so uh, it was great for my family. It was horrible for my wife and me. And we really saw, I was shocked at how, how much the United States had, had, had fallen uh, socially, yeah. in, infrastructurally. Uh, things were just falling apart. Nothing had changed. It was just like the same, nothing had changed. It was just like, it was just looking dirty and a lot of poverty. It was a lot of poverty. So I was like going, well, well, well you know, th those socialist programs in France maybe aren't so bad after all, you know, I mm -hmm. mean, even, even though for, for entrepreneurs like us, it was tough because of all the rules and regulations. But I had, a, I, I suddenly developed a healthy respect for the fact that France and, and Europe in general has had, 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 it's being completely dismantled now with the Lisbon Treaty in 2009, but uh, still has a, a, a strong socialist style, you know, um, medical system, et cetera. So then, unfortunately, we went bankrupt. Uh, I don't want to go into the details, but it was a nasty, ugly, uh, contentious bankruptcy. And uh, we got caught in the 2008, what I call rape of the middle class. Oh, yeah. Uh, by the Lehman Brothers and Wall Street, and we were in real we were in real estate, and we lost everything. So oh. we went we went back to China uh, with our younger daughter. Our older daughter had just graduated from high school. She stayed there uh, on her on her own and went to college and and um, on her own. And and so we went back with our younger daughter to China. And so this, so our first time there, <clears throat> our first time there was 1990 to 1997. Deng Xiaoping, the Wild East buckaroo days, of yep. just street level capitalism, you know, fast steady, fast steady, you know, I remember you know fast steady. make a buck, lying, cheating, stealing. It, it, it was extremely uh, wild for those seven years. Nobody trusted anybody. It was just total street level jungle capitalism. And so then we had the socialist thing in France, and then we had the neoliberal thing in the United States. And I think this it really helps to have these 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 comparisons because otherwise we don't we don't know where we are. We don't know you know what is relative. And uh, when I, we when we went back to China in 2010, this was after the 2008 Olympics. 
my wife and I were just gobsmacked. We just, what in the hell is going on here? It had changed yeah. so much. And for the better, the people, they're, they're just the mentality of the people, not just the infrastructure, which was mind blowing, but just the people, how they, how they had changed and evolved and, mm. and became much more Confucian and, and, and much less, you know, fast, you know, fast, fast buck, you know, uh, fast less, fast less, uh, less fast Eddie and more uh, Confucius. Yeah. Yeah. More Confucius <laughs> and Confucian. So we were really, really, really blown away. At this point I got out of the business world and we were actually teachers in, 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 in an international school. We had been certified alternatively certified in Oklahoma before we left. Hmm. So we were teaching wealthy Chinese, mostly wealthy Chinese uh, kids in international schools uh, in, in Beijing. And I, I was so gobsmacked. We were just like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. And um, so it was like, I was still very much in this communism is evil and we're superior and socialism you know well french socialism was okay but you know and so i was kind of you know wavering there and and the communism is evil and we're morally superior and you know we're we're, we're just better than everybody well we have socialism here too uh, jeff except it's only for the government you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the one percent and the one percent exactly for them they've uh, you know they've uh uh, privatized all the wealth and they <laughs> socialized all the risk. It's, it's yeah, a win-win right. situation. Yeah, yeah, for the one. It's what it's what our founding sure. fathers envisioned, Jeff. Yeah. 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 Not exactly. Not exactly. Not even close. So yeah. my so my so I told my wife, I said, you know, I we used to travel in the 1990s. We traveled all over China and it was really spectacular. And um, but um we had now, you know, a daughter going to high school or middle school in Beijing. So the the summer of 2012, I I started a little blog on, you know, the Google uh, Google blog spot. I started a little blog. Yeah, and, I remember blog spot. And I, and I remember <laughs> I remember when I got a hundred a hundred people looking at one of my articles, and I was like, oh wow. Yeah. And. Um, but I said, you know what? I have got to get out and see what's going on in the rest of the country to see, because Beijing's the capital, and you know, it's it's it's. It, it, I said maybe it's a Potemkin village, and the rest of the country is falling apart at, you know, falling apart at the seams. And I really had to get out and see it. And so my wife indulged me, and I took off in twenty the summer of twenty twelve, and that ended up being forty four days backpacking in China. And I intentionally went to the six six of the poorest uh, provinces in China, uh, yeah. and 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 to prove to see for my to see for myself, you know what what was going on. Sure. And I took I didn't take um, I mean I basically, you know, hiked uh, took local buses, local trains, uh, didn't uh, didn't fly, and I was just boots on the ground. I was just and of course I speak read and write fluent chinese so i was able to talk to hundreds of people and and uh so and it was like wow it's the same thing all over the place this 
this whole country has been completely transformed and the people have been complete have just evolved mentally and socially and it was just it's it was like everything that i had been raised with with eisenhower and you know kennedy and you know and everything else i, I it was just like what is I, just this cognitive dissonance about how we're supposed to be so much better than everybody else and then i was but i was looking at all of this incredible development and change and, and the radical change in the people and it wasn't it was when i was it was i was in a actually i did a a, re, a, a, a recent um, thing on this i was went to a, a rest a, a a cultural revolution restaurant in a little town uh, uh in south west sichuan as i was going down into yuenan and i was like going a cultural revolution restaurant what I thought 80 million people were killed in the Cultural Revolution. Why are they celebrating the Cultural Revolution? And and the, the, the just the cognitive dissonances. And I, I I kept saying, well, you know, and I compartmentalized it and kind of forgot about it. And then I started noticing Mao posters everywhere. And I, I, of course, they were back in Beijing, but I think I just didn't look at them. But I was starting to like notice everywhere, Mao posters everywhere. But he's supposed to be a monster. He's supposed to have, you know, claws, you know, and not fingernails. And he's supposed to have fangs, you know, and not teeth. And the blood's dripping off of him. And and he has green moss between his between his fangs. And he woke up every day to kill a million new people. And so so I had all of this, all of these. This, these conflicts in my mind yeah and I and I got back and actually I didn't even think I was going to write a book but I had used a I used a swap whatever that's swipe whatever it is you know where you can handwrite on a tablet oh and yeah I, yeah. Came, I came back with like 30,000 words and I thought well this is not a blog this is a book mm. so that's how that's how 44 days got developed into a book well during during writing 44 days I went back and researched um, uh, uh, the uh, genocide because I was basically thinking about genocide and yeah, um, you know they, that Mao was you know an exterminator and, and all this other stuff. And I got to the point when I when I finished the book and I and it got published, it was a question now of moral equivalency. I said, well, Mao and the communists, they were evil. They killed all these people. But I did a lot of research on the West and colonialism and imperialism and discovered that oh. they were just as bad. as. No, uh, Jeff, we're pure as the wind-driven snow. <laughs> We've never done anything wrong. We've never and, broken treaties. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I did mention the Native Americans. I mentioned Palestine. I mentioned uh, Southeast Asia with uh, with the um, uh, with the French and the Japanese starving oh, yeah. um, uh, eight percent of the South Southeast Asian population. And, mm -hmm. and uh, but anyway, I so at that point I was like, well, we're all we're we're both bad. Yeah. But something, something just kept eating at me, and, and I and, and and I realized I needed to be, do more research. And so, 
I decided at that point, and this is where the second book, China Rising, came in into into play. I realized I needed to do really a lot more research about the West and a lot more research about China. So I spent the next two or three years, you know, working thousands of hours. And I and the more I looked at the West, the worse and worse and worse it got. You know, I, and it, it was really interesting because at about that same time, actually, what happened was about 2010, I saw a, a little clip. Somebody sent me a little clip of the World Trade Center building number seven collapsing in free fall with no planes hitting it. Well, that's because the fire. I don't know if you know this, Jeff, but fire has the incredible ability of melting steel, yeah, especially. Was, con- and and pulverizing uh, construction exactly. concrete into so, my yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah. so and I'm and I'm a certified science teacher so I, anyway but we had you know to protect our to protect our uh, you know I was I was still I was still sort of halfway you know blue pill and yeah and so so I instead of red pill and so I comp- we compartmentalize this stuff you know people just. We have an amazing capacity to just compartmentalize things and, and not see them. And so I actually saw that, but it was when I started doing research you know, about all the genocide, the Native Americans and Africans, African slavery and all that. I s- remembered that video and I looked at it again. And so then I started getting way w- deep into the, to the, to the Western deep state. And, and so the, the first, um, the first hundred pages of China Rising is actually about Western about Western um, malgovernance, uh, oh, Western e- Western evil, the false yes. flags, yep, everything. I, I do regret at that point, especially coming from Oklahoma, that I did not think about the Oklahoma City bombing. And of course, now I know sure. that was a, that was an inside job. Yep. But anyway, I came away with a. It was like. I, I, I looked in a mirror, I, I looked in a mirror in a Western mirror and it was not a pretty, it was not a pretty, it was not a pretty sight. And, and, and I came, I came away extremely revolted about, and all these, all those ideals I had growing up just were shattered. I mean, just shattered on the rocks of, 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 of truth. And, it was painful. I mean, I even cried. And I mean, I was like, really, I mean, it was really painful for me to go through all this because, yeah. you know, America, we're number one and, and uh, city on the hill and the city on the freedom. hill and all that. <laughs> the city the of sa- freedom. And then at the same time, I, I did a lot of research into uh, the Mao era and um, I did um, um I, I traveled uh, to uh, to Hunan, where he was born. Uh, did uh, went, you know saw where he was raised and uh, where he went to school and where he taught and really got in did a lot of research on Mao. And I realized that, uh, and as hard as it is for, for probably most of the listeners out there to accept, is that. What and I of course I was doing a ton of reading, and um, I what I came to what I came to realize is is that everything, all this all this anti-China China China uh, propaganda, 
is first off I've now realized is fundamentally at, at its heart goes all the way back to the 19th century yellow peril very you know Asian race you know racism against uh, Asians but especially the Chinese and, and before before that was the red peril against the Native yeah, Americans yeah, yeah, yeah the red peril exactly <laughs> oh we've always been in peril since the uh, for quite, quite some time there's some uh, sort of peril going on yeah it's and and, and I mean, I basically, you know, China rising. Well, the 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 trilogy. Just, I mean, I don't want to get into it, but what you all, what we have all been brainwashed about the the culture, the the, the Great Leap Forward, and the China, the Cultural Revolution, is a manufactured lie, just like, you know, Russia, 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 you know. Um, COVID, COVID, COVID. I mean, it's just, we are very, very, very good at, at just implanting these memes in people's minds. And I realized that, of course, at that point, that Deng Xiaoping, when Mao died in 1976, you know, Mao, uh, Deng could not have gotten out of his chair without the incredible advancements that happened in China. Uh, during the Mao era from 1949 to basically 19. He, he died in 76, but the but the the Deng's policies came into effect in 1978. So the Mao period, you know, kind of bled over for a couple of years. And I just and and I keep reading and, and I and I read books. I started reading books. I thought, well, you know, what a novel idea. Why don't I read books of, uh, on China by the Chinese? It's just like, wow, what what an original idea. And so let's hear their side of the story. And that's what I did. And I just I've read thousands of pages. I read books by people who were there during the Great Leap Forward. I read books by people who were there during the Cultural Revolution. A couple of them. Mobo Gao is a professor at uh, the University of Adelaide in Australia. Uh, the other one, um, uh, Dongping Han, is a professor at the um, uh, Wilson uh, 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 College in North Carolina. Uh, these guys, you know, grew up in extremely poor, I mean, dirt poor um, villages in, in, in China during both the, culture, the, the Great Leap Forward from 59 to 61 and the Cultural Revolution from 19... 66 to 1976 they were there and they're very they and they tell the truth that it's not all this uh scar literature you know all these all these writers who are paid millions of dollars to just uh write the the worst lies about about um china like uh uh, frank dickotter you know mao's great famine and Mm -hmm. And Wang Chung, you know, who wrote uh, uh, Wild Swans, and her husband Johnny Halliday, and and it's just, it's called scar literature, and you know Mao's Mao's physician, and and I had read all those, and I that's why when I you know I had already read all those before I came back in 2010, and that's why when I was sitting in that restaurant in Southwest Sichuan in the middle of nowhere. You know, and they're like, you know, and praising, you know, <laughs> the Cultural Revolution. I was like, what in the hell is going on here? 
but then I realized, you know, the Chinese are not stupid. You know, they 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 know they know who has helped them and they know who who saved the country. And uh, it was Mao Zedong, the People's Liberation Party, the People's Liberation Army, and and the Communist Party of China. So it's just been crazy. And and now I just and I know I I I I. I piss a lot of people off and, and I probably hurt my readership and donations and everything else, but I just tell the truth and, and, and I know the truth. And I know what happened in China. I know what is happening in China. I talk to people there every day. And um, in fact, I'm gonna to try to go back next month now that the COVID thing is at least temporarily blown. I'm, I'm gonna to try to fly back in, in, in February or March uh, be my first trip back uh, since we left in 2019. Uh, so um, anyway, it's just uh, I, I, all I can tell you is, uh, unless you want me to go into detail about about the Mao era, it's not what you think it is. I think Let, Mao let's start, Jeff. Let's start with this: the Cultural Revolution is a major sticking point, and we all know the whole the narrative that we get out of the West. You know, 52 million people were killed, so on and so forth, during the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution. That's the number that's been thrown around often everywhere. 52 million, 52 million. There's been zero real accounting done uh, whatsoever in this regard. So, why don't you break down for us what the heck really happened? With the okay. Cultural Revolution, what, what what was the real truth behind that? Well, let's let's start with the Great Leap Forward because it 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 is it is an amazing um, story from forty nine until until fifteen fifty nine uh, when the Great Leap Forward started. Ch China and the Soviet Union were cooperating a lot together. Yeah. The Soviet Union had thousands of engineers and technicians. Uh, and scientists in China to help them. You know, we have to remember that when China got its independence in 1949, the Western imperialists had were flooding the country with heroin, yep. mor morphine, and earlier um, opium. Approximately 25, up to somewhere between 15 and 25 percent of the population was uh, addicted. It's sort of like you, wherever you live. Imagine every fourth house on your street being a drug house, and and that's and that's kind of like what it was in China. And the the life expectancy in 1949 was 35 years. I mean, if you can believe Jesus. it. And so, uh, 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 literacy, um, 20 percent. Uh, China had a steel industry the size of Belgium's. Mm -hmm. uh, the infrastructure was only to the extent that the imperialists, you know, fr basically France, Britain, and the United States could um, haul off all the booty, you know, back to well, bring in all the drugs and, yeah. and haul, haul out all the booty. Um, the um, uh, it was it was the, the, the when they called. When they called it the sick man of Asia, it truly was the sick man of Asia uh, from 1939, 1839 from the Opium War, first Opium War until 1949 when, when the communists liberated the country. Extremely, extremely in bad shape. And so within two years, and this is, this, and this is a fact, within two years after 1949, 
Mao and the communists got rid of uh, all the drugs, gambling, prostitution, child trafficking, um, uh, uh, loan sharks, the mafia. Yep. Everything was wiped. All of the all of the the scum of Chiang, uh, Chiang Kai Shek, uh, you know the the KMT and and, and all of that the the typical um, you know the, the the typical crimes you know on, on you know criminality robberies and um, all that was gone in two years. They did it in two years, and so at, at that point they were able to, they were able to build um, the. The Great Leap Forward was ambitious. Uh, let's put it that way. It was ambitious, maybe a little bit overly ambitious. But to put to put things in perspective, uh, you know, the China knew that it needed to industrialize, and if yeah. they were going to become if they were going to become a world power, and 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 take care of the people and serve the people, and so just I I want people to realize just how successful the great leap uh, the the great leap forward was in the, if industrially uh if you take the uh, british industrial revolution the german industrial revolution the american industrial revolution and the japanese industrial revolution the meiji restoration and in the 1860s and 1870s take th those four industrial revolutions three best years three best years and china's great leap forward outperformed all four of those um industrial revolutions by 10 to 30 percent so in in three years china went in, in fact in those three years they used 25 percent of all of the coal that was used in china from 1949 to 1976 in those three years. Um, it just got uh, nine of the 10 largest dam, uh, electro, uh, hydroelectric dams ex still existing today were built in during the Great Leap Forward. The, the, what's the number one? Well, the 10th one, of course, is the Three Gorges Dam uh, on the Yangtze River. Uh, they, they put, they installed you know, tens of thousands of kilometers of roads, tens of thousands of kilometers of telegraph lines. They installed a very efficient postal system. Uh, they installed, um, uh, they, they, re they, they restored and for irrigation control, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of miles of, well, your kilometers, whichever you prefer, uh, of, 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 of riverbank. I saw I saw these little dams. They 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 made they made over ten thousand hydroelectric dams for small villages, which I saw one on forty four days on these on these small rivers, on these small rivers. You know these little dams were producing enough electricity for people out in the middle of the boondocks to have electricity. I, I mean I could go on and on and on. And so what does the West harp on, at least industrially? Oh, well, they melted some, they decided to melt, they needed more iron, they needed more pig iron to make steel. And so they tried, they tried to um, recuperate, you know, recuperate old iron and old, 
pots and pans. Okay, it didn't work, but they quit doing it after about a year. But that's all you'll hear people talk about the industrial, the, the Great Leap Forward. Now, as far as the hunger is concerned, unfortunately, at the same time that the cultural that this started, of course, they had collectivized all the land. The, the agricultural land had had all been collectivized, which is a big boogie boogie bear word, you know, in the West. Uh, it was actually going quite well, but unfortunately, for two years straight, 1959 and 1960, China had uh, the the northern half was in drought. And south of the Yangtze River was in floods, 200, 200 year droughts and 200 year floods, Jesus. two years straight. So if everybody wants to blame the collectivization policy for the hunger. There was some, 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 a small amount of starvation, but it was mainly just good old fashioned hunger. Uh, so it was, Go it ahead. was basically uh, natural disasters that have done the work between the floods and the droughts that have wiped out the the the, the crops. destroyed the harvest season wiped mm -hmm. out the crops and therefore and again this is this is on the backdrop of uh, of just coming out of world war 2 yeah, yeah yeah exactly that makes sense uh, so mm -hmm. so let me let me just finish they at the same time in 1960 Mao knew Mao Zedong knew that Khrushchev who, who had taken over from Stalin you know who was again another another one of these? He was actually a, an incredible leader. Yeah. Uh, but he um, anyway, Khrushchev was the Gorbachev of his era. He was the he was the Gorbachev. He was the one that destroyed the Russian Revolution. Uh, he was the one that destroyed the the basically the country. He he set it up. Uh, and in fact, in fact, I've talked to Russians who think he was maybe even a CIA asset. <laughs> and um, so, and, and Mao was Mao was an excellent judge judge of people. And um, he and Stalin had a testy relationship, but they respected each other tremendously mm -hmm. and supported each other. But not great friends, but they they but they but they respected each other. Uh, Mao hated Khrushchev. He called Matt, he called Khrushchev. You know, a saboteur. You know, a, a counter-revolutionary. He was destroying, destroying the Soviet Union. And he was right. You know, he was right. So because of that, the Soviets in 1960. It was just this fall. I think it's something like October 21st or something like that. The Soviets just hopped up, left the country, took all the blueprints. And left the, the 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 Chinese holding the bag with all of these developmental pro at the same time as these droughts were going on. So it was just a, it was just a, a terrible realignment. And I know that what I'm saying is true because Mobo Gao in Adelaide, Australia, and uh, Dong Ping Han in at at, at uh, Wilson College in um, uh, uh, North Carolina. You would think that if they, you know, if it would be so easy for them to just go along with everybody else and say, oh, yeah, it was horrible, 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 because they're PhDs at these universities. But they wrote books and said, in fact, the collectivization saved lives because they were able to allocate and reallocate and move resources around food resources around the country. There was a lot of hunger. Uh, remember, most almost all of the people 
who did die of hunger or starvation. Almost all of them were 60, 65 years old. And this was when the this was when the life expectancy was still only 50 years of age. Yeah. And and so that's it, it was a, it was a huge rip roaring success. They uh, it, they became a steel producing steel producing powerhouse. They developed infrastructure, agriculture. Uh, they it, it was it was a huge success. Now. People will tell me that I'm that, oh you're just full you're just full of you know poop, Jeff. You know that's 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 just a lie. Well, I'm sorry. I I, I I've done my research, and I and not only Mo Bo Gao and Dong Dong Ping Han, which whom I both interviewed, uh, that people want to read their interviews and their books are outstanding. Um, they said it's it's not true, and they were in really poor villages. You know, um, one in Ch- uh, Qingdao and one in uh, Jiangxi province that gets us over and what's really interesting is 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 that since the great leap forward in the 2000 years before the great leap forward china had at least um one major famine for 1,826 something, something like that, 1,800 and something years out of 2,000 years, China had a, at least one major famine for basically every year for the last 2,000 years. How many famines have they had since the, the Great Leap Forward? Zero. Zilch. Goose egg. Wow. So, Let's get to the Cultural Revolution. All during the, you know, Mao, like everybody else, um, there were a lot of counter-revolutionaries. Well, first off, there were millions of left-behind Japanese imperialist soldiers who were left behind. There were millions of fascist KMT, you know, Chiang Kai-shek KMT fascist soldiers left behind. So there there were a lot of people left behind in the country who wanted to, to destroy the, the revolution. So they did a lot of, they did, you know, they had, they, they, they had to get rid of, they had to either reeducate those guys or get rid of them. Believe it or not, out compared to, compared to other revolutions, they estimate that only about 2% of all of these bad guys were actually killed, uh, which is an extremely low number. Uh, And most of those were, were, were done, was they were it was done locally by the local people to the landlords and the 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 the, the you know the 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 super rich who were who were basically you know uh, exploiting them raping them beating them ripping them off they the, some of those about two percent of those were killed the rest were educated re-educated and of course the Americans and they hate the idea of re-education but these people re-educated. The problem for Mao was, is there was a lot of corruption. And he tried, he had six, this is the number, in, this, is the, this is the symbol for six in China. He had six, he had six campaigns from 1949 to 1966, trying to rid the country of corruption, basically in the party. The, the Communist Party. He tried everything. He couldn't do it. The people were upset. 
you know, that everybody was extremely unhappy with the way things were going. Also, the rural people were extremely unhappy, which was at that time about 80% or 85% of the population was rural, that their kids were not getting the education they were promised because all the old, you know, you know, the all the old, you know, Confucian style, you know, teachers who were in who were embedded in the who were embedded in the in the educational um, you know, the Ministry of Education and all the schools uh, were very elitist. That's the one bad thing about Confucianism. It's a little bit it's it's elitist. Um, and they were very upset that their kids could not get a decent education. That's why it's called the Cultural Revolution. So Mao got so upset at failing six times, six times, failing six times to rid the country, basically the party uh, of, of corruption. He even there's a famous quote where he said, you know, I hear you can you can buy you can buy a bride. No, you, you can you can buy a county. You can buy a county, uh, a county party leader for a pack of cigarettes, you know. Uh, you know, he was he was extremely disgusted. So the Cultural Revolution was number one for education for the masses. And the masses were all the peasants. That was 85 percent of the people at that time. So the other one was to get rid of corruption. So he said, well, if the party is not going to clean up its act. The people are, are going to clean up the act. And so basically the Cultural Revolution is nothing more than the world's greatest um, direct democracy in the history of, of, of humanity. He basically, that's when he said bomb the headquarters, he was saying kick the, kick the living ass out of the Communist Party of China and clean it up. And that's exactly what happened. The people at the local level, if you can imagine, it's a billion people at the local level decided we're going to get rid of corruption. And they did. What, were there some innocent people hurt or killed? Not millions. But were there some innocent people hurt? Were, was there, were, were there some grudges settled, some personal grudges settled, et cetera? Of course. You, you can't, you know, a billion people doing this, the, the, the greatest direct democracy experiment in the history of the world. Of course, there, there were some innocent people who got hurt. However, it's very interesting, that, and this gets into false flags. It's actually been proven that when they, when, during, the first couple, during the first couple of months of the Cultural Revolution, supposedly all these temples were destroyed and Buddhist temples were destroyed and ancient artifacts were destroyed and all that. Well, you know what that, you know who those were? This is, this is classic, you know, counter-revolutionary stuff. It was the people who were against the elites, the, the, the elites who were the ones that were being attacked by the peasants and the, and, 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 and the workers. They were the ones that were getting, who, were, who, were, who were getting the short end of the stick on this deal. They were the ones who dressed up all of their people in Red Guard uniforms and went out and destroyed you know, all this stuff to discredit the real Red Guards who were out trying to, you know, clean house. And so um, anyway, it worked. Um, 
the only reason that Mo Bo Gao and Dong Ping Han are full professors at Western universities today is because of the Cultural Revolution. Because mm -hmm. before that, they would have never gone to school. They may have gotten to get, they may have gotten up to sixth grade, U.S. sixth grade, but be thanks to the Cultural Revolution, tens of thousands, and it was all done locally. It was the people who did this locally. Right. You want, you want local government? Well, this was the greatest experiment in local government that ever happened. It mm. was the local people who got their resources together, built schools, um, uh, did the best they could. You know, maybe the maybe the teachers weren't Confucian, but they did. They found the best and the brightest to educate their kids. Tens of millions of children who never got to go to school, maybe third grade, maybe sixth grade, were now going to middle school and high school and being and being given an opportunity to go to university. And that's exactly what happened to m many, many people like Dong Ping Han and Bobo Gao. They got to go to university in China thanks to the Cultural Revolution. Mm, All right. Wow. So I want I want people to understand this. I mean, this is there is so much BS. The other thing is, well, there was no production. That is wrong. It is true. The first year of the in 19 from 66 to 67, the, G, the GDP dropped like, I don't know, 15 or 20 percent. I mean, because it was total chaos because. Right. All of a sudden, a billion people were going. Okay, we're going to we're going to, we're going to clean house. So they and you know and all these Wang Chung and all these scar literature writers, you know, who how how we suffered during the culture during the cultural revolution. That's because they were the one percent who were who were who were you know who were corrupt. Yeah, they were the proxies. They were the yeah they 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 were they they were living they were living. You know, you know, up here, you know, while everybody else was, you know, they were, they were the, they were the corrupt people in the party, yeah, the Communist Party, that who, who got taken, who, who got, who, who got, who got their, who got their short sheared. Sure. And, and so, of course, now, of course, they all escaped, and now they're making millions of dollars, you know, uh, being. You know, with chairs and supposed think tanks, anti, you know. Well, I'll tell you what, if Americans ever take back their country, if we ever take back our country, uh, Jeff, you could bet a lot of guys in Wall Street, in Washington, D.C., and places like that will be like, <laughs> oh, how it was terrible, the second American Civil War. Yeah, how yeah, we right. suffered. Oh, my God. I'm sure well, they'll write the I, same I, books. I tell you what, I tell you what, if anybody in the United States wants a good primer yeah. on how to do it, read how the Chinese did it with the Cultural Revolution. Interesting. That's at something the, we need to look at. At the, at the end of the Cultural Revolution, there was no corruption. I mean, they, yeah. people, people, there was zero corruption. There was zero, I mean, it was zero crime. Nobody even locked their houses. Right. There was total, total, total honesty. And it was a, if you want to call it that, you know, the, um, the, uh, the genie index, you know, the index about, you know, uh, uh, how, how, how wealth is spread. One, a, a genie index of one means one sure. person owns all the wealth and a, and a genie index of, 
zero is is the entire wealth of the country is spread perfectly evenly between every person. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the Gini index at the time uh, of the Cultural Revolution was 0 0.15. I mean, it was extremely egalitarian. Mm. This, this other idea, so the first year, the GDP dropped, I think it was like 15 or 20 percent. And even including, even including the, that first year in the Cultural Revolution, the average GDP growth was 8% a year. Mm. So this, this BS that it was, a chaos, it, was, it was chaos the first year. During the, during the Cultural Revolution, they built an atomic bomb. They built nuclear, nuclear uh, thermonuclear weapons. They built um, uh, uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles. Yep. They they built satellites and, and launched satellites into space. Um, it was actually in, again you have to just that's a uh, leap. You know it's just unbelievable. But you'll never know this and never. And never and, and and people will deny it. So it's not true. It's not. It's just, it's no, it's not true. They they were all driving around in ox carts, man. That, <laughs> that's not true. How can these uh, grimy Chinese communists come up with such great technological advancements? My God. So so <laughs> at, at the 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 weak link. The if you look at the entire Mao. Um, era from nineteen forty nine to nineteen seventy eight. The weakling. I mean, of course, by the end of the when he died, I mean, China was already its life expectancy when he died was 65. There you go. So 35 and 49 and 65 in 76, 77, 78. He almost doubled the life expectancy. Literacy rates went from 20 percent up to like 70 percent. And so you just it just infrastructure everything so um the other thing that's just you know you know fascinating is is that um uh the, the how they dealt with this afterwards because unfortunately <laughs> deng xiaoping unfortunately his son you know his his son was was a bit of an uh was was um he he got thrown out of a window uh, and was paralyzed from the waist down after that for the rest of his life. He never gave up. He actually never gave up on China or the revolution. And I think he's still alive today and has been mm. a proponent of, uh, of, the, of the party and everything. But Dung had a bit of a grudge, you know, against, against what happened. And so how did they finesse this? And, and so the whole thing when they came out, I will tell you that that they dung and when they afterwards in 1980, 82, they did a thorough study of the Great Leap Forward, and they came they they calculated based on 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 um, census census uh, reports and everything that approximately 25 million people died during the during the Great Leap Forward. In mm -hmm. uh, turn, when you have when you have you know, we're talking about out of out out of a out of a, a total population of you know 700 million mm -hmm. uh, it's but again it was mainly weather it was almost well it was weather driven um they decided that mao was 70 percent correct and 30 percent incorrect which is very funny because mao used that same quote about in, in one in one of his speeches 70 if someone can do 70 30 
we should keep them. Mm-hmm. And um, but but Dung could not have gotten out of his chair without the Mao era. I mean, he basically took a broken, miserable, addicted, yeah, uh, flat on its back country Jeez. with no hope and no future. And in 25 years, another thing for all you ladies out there, Mao was the greatest women's liver in the world. Uh-huh. He went before the before the revolution, be, before the independence, when they were up in Yan'an, uh, 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 holding out against the, the KMT and the Japanese. He kept telling his associates, the first law we're going to pass is, is a law, it's what he called the marriage law, but it basically was a gave women equal rights. And because before that, it was pretty bad. I mean, <laughs> before before Mal came along, I mean, women couldn't own property. I mean, they were they were basically chattel property. And so, and he did that. And when he the first law they passed in 1950 was called the marriage law, and it gave women full equal rights. When my wife and I open would open up a bank account, we have we've got bank accounts still open in China. A man and a woman cannot open a joint account. They will not allow that to happen because they don't want the husband to control the woman's money. Wow. So, so my wife and I had to we have to we have to have two individual accounts. That's why China has so many women doctors, engineers, professors, scientists, researchers in the military. Uh, I mean, you name it, you know, they're, they're business, business owners. So, so, he liberated, he liberated overnight, 250 million women. That's amazing. So Jeff, you're telling me that if CJ and I were to move to China, uh, our wives will not be able to have the same checking account as us. <laughs> and have to be separate. See, there was our idea, bro. This is this is ruinous <laughs> to us. Yeah. Move let on. Me just finish, Move on. Let me, <laughs> let me just the the weak link, the the worst aspect of the Mao era it was food. Even though he increased the he increased the GDP six times in twenty five years, he increased the food production three times in 25 years. But the problem was, is that when he, when, when the, when the communist party took over in 49, there was about 480 million people, which was extremely low. The, the population from 1839 to 1849 didn't even barely grew a hundred, a hundred million people because everybody was sick and dying and, and addicted to drugs. But so after they took over, you know, food, you know, health, health, you know, the barefoot doctors, you know, millions of barefoot doctors. And that's why they were able to increase the life expectancy so much and better food and sanitation. And they got rid of parasites and, and diseases and, and, uh, but so they went from 500, basically 500 million in 49 to over a billion you know, by, by, by about 1970. That's incredible. So, so the, the, the population was increasing so fast that even though they increased food production by three times, 
they really needed to increase it about five or six times to keep up with the, with the rapid increase. So when so when in 1976 when he died, nobody was starving, but nobody was you know it was it was it, it was pretty lean. It was it was a pretty you know pretty it was pretty lean. Meat meat was you know meat meat was a bit of a meat was a bit of a of a splurge. Yeah. Um, but um, anyway, I just I know the Mao era really really well. I think Mao Zedong in in the whole was the greatest. I'm talking about for the for the people. Yeah. For his people. Yeah, he was he was the greatest leader in the 20th century. Yeah, uh, he no no as I always say, no man did so much for his people for his people in so little time than Mao Zedong, and that's wow. true. That's and, incredible. I mean, that this is the complete opposite of what the West teaches us, man. I mean, the West for 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 decades now, now that we have nothing but a hollowed out economy, uh, we're a paper tiger. We're, uh, you know, masquerading as a civilization. It, it, it's it's ridiculous where we are. We we are taught narratives. You know, I, I was just listening to uh, Lieutenant Scott Ritter interviewing Victor Bout, right? Victor Bout. Yeah, was yeah, the, yeah, the Russian, the Russian who was framed for, for gun running. Yeah, the, the yeah. god of war. That, yeah. you know, they, they made the Nicolas Cage movie Lord of War, and they uh. loosely based it on victor bout's thing which victor bout was doing contracts for the dod he was just delivering supplies some of those supplies were weapons other was like uh, you know mres and god knows what not no drugs no human tra trafficking nothing they needed a narrative the west needed the narrative this is 2008 when the west was actively involved in regime change operations which they've done in china with tiananmen square which is op which is repackaging of operation yellowbird which they did in burma you know, back in the in the, in the you know in the earlier eighties, right? So, mm -hmm. it, it's amazing that you have this innocent man's life ruined for fourteen years over a lie. And every American's like, "Oh yeah, he's the Lord of War." The guy had nothing to do with that. It's incredible. <laughs> the people just believed it, and they had an yeah. idiot jury in the Southern District Court of New York, which is my old, which is my home, which is my old home state, right? Where they just they they're like oh yeah well you know we saw the movie Nicholas Cage he played you you know this is you know it's most likely it you're an evil man and you're gonna go away for fourteen years ridiculous so this is the this is what they do in the West character assassination and narrative it's the mm -hmm. greatest power that these Western oligarchs have why because their ultimate game is wealth extraction and that's why I call it the big lie propaganda machine oh it was God. it's you know, it's, it's and it's, but unfortunately, it's so effective. The it's hugely I was just, effective. I, I was just reading yesterday. I didn't even know about it, but apparently there were some letter bombs in Spain next door. Really? Wow. I'm in France. There were some letter bombs that went off uh, in uh, in Spain. The police didn't know who did it, but then of course the 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 big lie propaganda machine in Washington and London jumped on it and said oh it must be the russians trying to destabilize yeah. <laughs> europe yeah i mean the they're, russians have the ability to do that i don't know if you know this jeff they can mail a few letters out and put baking soda in, and it will destabilize an entire western <laughs> democracy just like they can buy ten thousand dollars of facebook ads and steal an election in 2016 yeah. it's incredible what the russians Inc can do incredible and so the even the spanish police and security said 
it's not the Russians, but just, I just saw this the day before yesterday, the New York Times, which is nothing more than a, a CIA, CIA chop shop, came out saying, un, un, what is it, what is unidentified or high level sources, they always use these anonymous sources, said that it is very likely the Russians who are doing this to destabilize. But this is what is so sad, V, is, is that that will get picked up by CNN, MSNBC, BBC, all you know, the, the whole big lie propaganda machine will pick that up and will just run with it. And then in four weeks, you can interview people anywhere in the West and ask, is it, uh, did, did Russia, is Russia involved in the, uh, is Russia involved in the, uh, in the, uh, you know, the, the letter bombs in Spain? Yeah, yeah, 75% say yeah. Oh, it, yeah. The, the same the same thing it, it was just like the Uyghurs you know the the Muslims, oh, God, the biggest lie ever the Xinjiang you know the Xinjiang uh, concentration camps they had you know Soros George Soros and Ned the National Endowment for Democracy you know CIA they create this you know East Turkestan liberation you know organization with their own flag you know the the typical color revolution. So what do they do? They get a guy from that from that uh, organization who probably lives in a townhouse in Georgetown in Washington, D.C. They ship him up to New York, and at, at 8 o'clock at night, he goes into the General Assembly of the United Nations and, set, and gives a speech so that it's officially recorded, so that it's officially recorded in the United Nations, you know, um, uh, records the journal of all all the speeches given that there are well at first off it was hundreds of thousands and then it was a million and then it was two million and of course you know it was it was like you know 10 or 20 percent of the of the population but you know it ended up being supposedly imprisoned in gulags in, in Xinjiang but they have the they took that gave it to gave it to um, uh, gave it to New York Times, gave it to the Washington Post, yep. gave it to CNN, gave it to MSNBC, gave it to the BBC, and they all and ran now, with it. And you know, and, and now, and now, you you ask anybody? Well, of course, there's gulags there. Of course, Trump was involved. Of course, Trump is responsible for what happened on January sixth in uh, in Washington. You know. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, you know, of course, it was it was hell. It was the damn Democrats who did it to stop the uh, the, the the Republicans from questioning the vote. Correct. So, but but now it's just it has become so much a part of the. It, you you can't question it. It's just you can't question it, and that's why you can't question. You know, you can't question uh, the Cultural Revolution. You can't question the, um, uh, the well, or at least the 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 the. the the paradigm that we have, the, 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 you can't you you can't question that. Mao was it was it was a was it was a murderer. Stalin was it was a was a genocidal murderer. Um, Everybody was a murderer except us because we're and, uh, God's gift on 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 this world. We're as pure as the wind, we're driven snow. We fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. I'm a real American, so on and so forth. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. And and the whole thing on Zhejiang. 
I've said it so many times before. This is probably the the most incompetent genocide program I've ever seen, Jeff. I mean, how do you create a genocide program where, you know, the in Zhejiang, the people's life expectancy went from 42 years of age to now it's about 71. <laughs> uh, the, they had uh, 400 mosques about 30 years, 40 years ago. Now they have 22,000 mosques. Yeah, the yeah, number one that. singer in the number one pop singer in China is a Uyghur woman. The yeah. Uyghur language is written on the Chinese note. Uh, the yeah. Uyghurs have a special access to university where halal meals are prepped for them and prayer rooms are, are provided for them. Hmm. Uh, it, it, they've ch radically changed the Xinjiang through economic development where you had CIA proxy groups and terrorist groups that used to pull off 300 terror attacks per year has been whittled down to practically zero. Thanks yeah, to the policies yeah. over there. Yeah, this is yeah. the most incompetent genocide program I've ever seen. <laughs> they really need to consult with some of the, some of, you know, like, I mean, God rest his soul. Uh, what is his name? Zbigniew Brzezinski could have advised them how to do this properly. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's unreal. Yeah. Jeff. It's unreal. Which brings us to the next thing, Jeff. Okay. Yes. Now, I'm a money guy, you know, working in the former financial industry, uh, spent many years. But so that's my talent is to follow the money and figure this, this stuff out. A lot of Americans are confused. Okay, they'll say things that China is working with the American deep state in order to overthrow America. Well, if the Chinese are working with the American deep state to overthrow America, then why is the American deep state trying to <laughs> encircle China in the South China Sea, sanction China wherever ch chance they get, create terror groups in Chinese provinces, set off false flags, and then use Taiwan as Ukraine 2.0? Yeah. You can't have it both ways, but you know the uh, the average American doesn't figure this thing out. Yeah. Which yeah. brings us to COVID, and people wanted to know about China's so terrible to their people. They've locked them down. They're using drones. They're they're drone striking the people like the 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 Obama years. You know when Obama would would, would kill you know sixteen year old American citizens in in, in the Middle East. You know and uh, without due course or whatnot. How, due process. Due yeah. process, exactly. Yeah. So, would you like to comment on China's response and how they actually viewed COVID versus the West? Because I'll, I'll also tell you my side of the story, which, you know, you and I haven't talked about this before we went live, but I guarantee you, bet your bottom dollar, that you and I are going to put together some two pieces of a puzzle and it's going to be magic. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, we need to understand that China is the most biologically weapon attacked country in modern history. Yep. Uh, the Japanese from 1935 to 1945 had Unit 731 in Harbin, up near up, up near the Russian border, uh, and it is estimated that uh, they killed somewhere between uh, around 300,000 people, and and they perf uh, they perfected um, bi biological weapons from airplanes, yep. Yep. from airplanes making bombs out of ceramic. And sort of like, you know, um, um, corrugated iron bombs that would break open on contact and release mice and voles and insects. And they got as far down, they got as far south as Ningbo, which is north of, of Shanghai, doing this. And they got very good at it. The Chinese at that time 
learned how to fight against, you know, these biological weapon attacks, and they got really good at, you know, compartmentalizing, you know, separating, you know, people who had contact with all these bugs and stuff. And so, so they got really good at that. And then in 1951 and 52, uh, the United States, of course, the United States took Unit 731 back to Fort Detrick, took all the, you know, uh, Shiro Ishii, the, the head guy, the head psychopath, 8,000 8, biological slides, microscope slides, and a couple of containers of, of information. That's what started Fort Detrick, uh, yep. the biological weapon, uh, uh, the, the, the biggest biological weapon op, uh, operation in the world. Um, and so they basically took Unit 731's blueprints and tried to 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 do it on the Yalu River between North Korea and China. It was in the winter. A, a, a few hundred people died, but they definitely did biological weapons then against the Chinese and the North Koreans. So the Chinese are very used to this. Yes. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that um, in Wuhan in 2019, um, there were the um, military world games in, um, uh, I think it was October, uh, the two weeks in October, uh, and 312 American military showed up to compete. And I put compete in quotation marks because I'll tell you what happened. Usually, these are these are these are really serious. I mean, these these games are really taken really seriously by the military. It's like the Olympics of the militaries around the world. Usually, of course, you can imagine it's a duke out between first, second, and third place between Russia, the United States, and China. You know, because those are the three biggest militaries. And well, for some strange reason, in 2019, the United States didn't even win a gold medal. They didn't win a gold medal. They were called the Chinese were mocking them in Chinese media, calling them soy sauce soldiers. <laughs> And the United States came in like 47th or 48th place, like between Bahrain and Guatemala, something like that. Oh, I've, written all, I've written all about that. that that's because we're elite. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to show forth how elite we are, lest we intimidate the competition, Jeff. That's and what so obviously the people that were sent over were not athletes. They were bioweapon specialists. Bingo. <laughs> and they were at the Oriental. They were at the Oriental Mandarin Hotel in Wuhan. All 312. The very first symptoms. And, and, and it's unfortunate that China, you know, hushes this all up because they don't want they don't want a, a hot war with the United States. So they deny, 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 deny. Because if the people, if 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 the Chinese government came out and said we know the United States did this, they would lose face. To their people unless there was an appropriate response and the only appropriate response would be a hot war and the chinese don't want a hot war so they they they, they do a lot of they they do a lot of they do they, they they unfortunately they they also cover this up to keep on the development track infrastructure development economy and but the the very first symptoms the very first symptoms were among the local staff at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel in Wuhan, where the where the Americans were. You so mean to tell me it didn't happen at a wet market between a pangolin and a turtle? 
<laughs> well, the wet market is about 300 meters down the road from the from the from the Oriental Mandarin, and uh, but that again, that was just the Americans, you know, did that, and 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 you know, the Chinese are trying to cover it up, and they don't want to get into it, but clearly they were attacked in Wuhan. Um, the, the I think. To be quite honest with you, there was a double benefit for the World Economic Forum crowd because they knew what the Chinese would do when they realized that they had been attacked. They knew they would do just like they did against the Japanese in 1935 and 1945. They knew what the Chinese would do just like they did against the United States during the Korean War. They went into war footing. They went into total mobilization to stop this, um, to stop this from spreading. That's why when they had 50 million people uh, <clears throat> um, quarantined in in the in the Wuhan area, China had to assume that it was a bioweapon. They have to assume that it's a bioweapon, and that has yeah. that that has that has been the 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 um that has been the the way they treated this until recently and i'm still trying to go through you know why they decided to just suddenly lift it now I, I'm, I'm a little bit curious as to why unless they unless they have the vaccines now you know that they can that they can produce or maybe they just got tired the people were getting tired of it i'm i'm in i'm in contact with a lot of chinese and yeah they, they were getting tired of the lockdowns although but you know what up until they up until they changed the rules recently, poll after poll in China showed 82% of the people, 82% of the people polled supported the zero COVID measures. And I have friends in China who are still afraid to go outside because they're afraid they're afraid of 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 of, of, of a Western bioweapon. Correct, and th that's the thing that people have to understand. The West, they it, this is what I said before uh, years ago as well. They're taking it that this is a bioweapon. I mean, you look, folks, there's over 300 labs. A lot of them are up and down Asia that are ringing China. And so, you know, these are U.S. bioweapons labs. So they take yeah. it as a biological threat. Now, watch this trick, right? Here is, and I'm going to bring this up. This is the other missing piece of the puzzle. I'm tied in on the financial side of things. Okay. This is very key, very clutch, very important. All right. Here we go. Airfinity. I talked about these guys briefly before. I'm going to dive deep in here and try to put it together because I didn't have all the pieces back then. Oh know, yeah, yeah, I read, I, I saw a deal about them. They're the the uh, they're the COVID propagandists. Bingo! These yeah. guys are basically the ones who were hyping up. They used the they were using the original Neil Ferguson concept. The Neil, Dr. Yeah. Neil Ferguson, the guy yeah, yeah. That quit, who yeah. told everybody lockdown. There's gonna be the, 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 there's gonna be like a, a, a it's gonna have like a, a ninety percent fatality rate. Of course, I'm exaggerating here, but Neil Ferguson is the one that that convinced the British the British government to lock everything down. Meanwhile, while he was having uh, a, a, a extramarital tryst on the side uh, mm -hmm. with, with a mistress, that was okay for him to do, but everybody else had to be locked down and and sh and scuttled. And the fear porn is big business, right? And mm -hmm. fear porn serves a purpose. They knew if they can get Airfinity's data over into China and to initiate a severe, severe lockdown, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that all of a sudden, you know, it's going to work in it's going to work in the West's favor because the hope was it's going to it's going to hobble China's economy, it's going to break their economy, it's going to slow them down. But the narrative in the West is like 
oh, the China released the virus to slow our economy down, to make mm-hmm. us stumble and fall, and to mm-hmm. remove Donald Trump from president because they're working mm-hmm. with the American deep state. That's the narrative they told us. No, no, no. But the narrative on the Chinese side, Airfinity sent in a lot of people and said, hey, look, China's a data-driven country. You know, uh, 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 you know, good for good and for bad. Okay, in the sense that if you give them false data, they're going to act on the data because it's 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 democracy on the bottom, data in the middle, you know, and then and, and then talent at the top. I forgot the gentleman who said that. I think it was probably a colleague of yours, but um, the um, so you know, the, so this is the situation. So Airfinity goes there, they give them the data work again based on on fake multipliers, based on fraudulent information concocted and cooked by Neil Ferguson as well as Western intelligence agencies that spruce the numbers and then Airfinity, which has tie-ins with uh, with MI6, has tie-ins with Soros, unwanted man in China, Soros, uh, as well mm-hmm. as various NGOs, okay? Mm-hmm. They're the ones who told the entire world to lock down. They have their tentacles in the World Health Organization and because of that, China, what did China do? Just like you said, Jeff, they responded as if it was a bioweapon. That's why their death rate was extremely low, right? Yeah. And then what they also did to scare the Chinese, you see, in the in, in the West, we started they started putting out they started recommending Airfinity started recommending PCR tests. PCR tests, which were originally created by the creator of the test, said this is useless for yeah. Yeah. you know for diagnosing COVID. It's 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 useless, and COVID only has a a ninety nine point nine seven survivability rate, so you don't need to lock down. So. When the PCR tests, which are throwing in 90% false positive, and this is why every day in the West, we started hearing 1 million new cases today, 2 million new cases of COVID, 10 million new cases of COVID today, right? And, um, and, 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 um, uh, uh, okay, I know you got to go with 15 minutes. So basically, um, you know, so the West got all those hyped up cases of COVID, uh, and uh, then they they fraudulently increased the death rate in the West. You know, while mm-hmm. one million people died of COVID, you could have died of a shark attack and then said you died of COVID. Then they yeah. those numbers, and Airfinity went back to China and said, "Hey, look, look at what the West—they're not shutting down and locking down like you guys are. That's why they have millions dead and only four thousand Chinese dead. See, keep locking mm-hmm. down. It was a tactic to hobble their economy." <laughs> that's what the whole thing is. And meanwhile, then, then the West unlocked, right? So much death here, but we unlocked, right? That was the whole entire thing. And then what happened? Ten trillion dollars worth of wealth in the Western markets transferred from 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 the the, the have-nots to the haves. To the haves, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, Jeff, I know we're limited on time. Go for it. Well, but I just want to say that they knew by releasing it in Wuhan, they knew that that would be. The they they could all go well. Look at the Chinese; they're locking down. They're yeah. wearing masks. You know, we should do the same. You know, and so it was really diabolical. And the problem is, of course, you know that the Chinese government, if they if they said if they if they went the Swedish way, you know, and basically didn't do anything, there would be a huge loss of face for the government. There would be a huge loss of confidence in the government. It could be a bioweapon so we have to be safe anyway and so china had had to go on to a war footing i'm a little bit you know i'm a little bit mystified as to why they stopped suddenly um maybe they just realized that the people are just they just can't handle it anymore maybe i know you know another interesting thing 
they never forced anybody in China to get a vaccine. I still have Chinese friends who are, who are not vaccinated. Nobody was ever forced to get a vaccine yeah. in China. And of course, they don't have the mRNA genetic uh, treatment. No, they, don't. they have just good old fashioned attenuated. That's for, all, that's for the that, that's the loving Western governments to dispense upon their own populations because yeah. they love us so much. Yeah. Jeff. And then so but they they never got forced anybody. I think they just decided people were just getting just burnt out. And I think maybe they've realized a lot, a lot of the people have gotten, you know, three and four of the attenuated virus vaccines. And I think they just figure they probably have enough of a herd immunity that they can, they can stop it. I think also since the vaccines are government, government controlled, if they, if they see a new mutation coming on, you know, in China, they can probably switch, you know, the, the vaccine production to the new, to the new, uh, to the new uh, genome. Uh, and I do want to point out that uh, there's a really wonderful um, on expose, expose news. It's a UK. They have a timeline of, of COVID, of, of the history of COVID going back into the 1980s with Anthony Fauci. But to make a long story short, uh, Anthony Fauci um, and then Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina, Cha uh, Chapel Hill, and Peter Daszak at Echo, Echo Health Alliance, they were the ones that gave money to the Wuhan virus lab uh, to teach them, to teach the Wuhan lab how to weaponize COVID. Uh, what, the, what, what Fauci and the guys got out of it was some bat, was some bat DNA that got shipped back to the United States. Uh, I think that, and, and Fauci, uh, Ralph Barrett got $68 million to weaponize COVID in North Carolina, uh, Ch Ch China, the Wuhan lab got a total of, I think, something like 5 million. So who did the, who, who did the real work to weaponize, um, to weaponize COVID? And I think actually, although it's been terrible for China from a PR standpoint with, you know, the you know, Kung flu and, and everything else, and, you know, the Wuhan, the CCP virus, you know, and, um, but I think it probably saved a lot of lives because Wuhan had the genome of the COVID of, of SARS COVID two before anybody else did, and so they were already developing vaccines for it. That's why they were able to come out with a vaccine like with just just like within months of of the of the, of the public outbreak uh, because they I think they they, they already had they already had the genome from 2015. That's that's when that's when Fauci gave. That's when Fauci and Ralph Barrick and, and Peter Daszak at Echo Health Alliance gave Wuhan the COVID, uh, the SARS COVID-2 uh, 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 virus uh, to, uh, to, to learn how to weaponize it. So, uh, but, but, but unfortunately it's been a terrible PR and it's, and it's unfortunate again, China has to go with the, with the WHO, you know, propaganda it was from bats and because again if they came out and said we know that this was done by the united states the people would be demanding justice and revenge and the only thing that you know that china could do would be to you know that point would be at a would be at a war a war or or destroy its you know economic development by yep. kicking kicking all the foreign companies out and but they don't want to do that. They're 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 focused on development, infrastructure, economic, 
economic, you know, development, uh, improving the people's lives. So they, they, they play along with this lie. And, but it was actually a, the, the COVID-19 is as American as apple pie. Yep. 100%. Jeff, thank you so much. We've covered a lot of ground. I know you're pressed for time. I'd love to have you back on. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's been fun. You're a great host. <laughs> you're welcome, man. It's, no, it's definitely been a lot of fun. And um, CJ's a good engineer. He, he is. Well, thank you for that, Jeff. I appreciate it. <laughs> I can barely walk in and, uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, hold my drool. <laughs> so I, I, there's no way I can multitask this, but without, CJ makes it so much easier. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much for having me back, having me on, and I will um, get this transcribed. Yes. So it'll be in print, and I will promote it on my website. I'll promote your website, and we'll have win-win mutual benefit uh, 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 together. That's what we love, yep. definitely, Jeff. Absolutely, right. folks. Get Jeff's book. Follow him on Twitter. We have all the links in the description box. With that being said, CJ, take it away.